Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My guest for this episode is Tende Humphrey Sedima. He is an actor, a composer, and a multi-instrumentalist. <laughs> Listen to his journey into theatre and creativity and um, his latest role as Robert in the play That Goes Wrong and literally everything that went wrong along the way. <laughs> Enjoy. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Jinde, how are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Really well. Thanks for yeah. chatting to me. Yeah. How is life treating you? Not too bad. We've been all right. I... Uh... I uh, broke my legs two days, broke my ankle two days before the play that goes wrong opened. So, like, I had two months out. So, I'm like a month in and just back to work. And, like, just, so I'm just in cloud nine. I'm just in that sweat. Holy <laughs> shit. Are you all healed up now? Yeah, I am. And they've been, like, really good about looking after me. But, yeah, like, uh, it's pretty pro me. Uh, oh, my God, you poor thing. <laughs> yeah. That must have been so stressful. Yeah, because I didn't do it at work. I was going to visit my dad and uh, yeah. running for a bus broke my ankle before open night. And I was a pretty See, this is why you never run for a bus. You just be late. Yeah, don't <laughs> run for a bus and don't visit your family are the two lessons I've learned. And I think um, as lessons go, it's not too bad. Oh, my God. God. Yeah. But you're there now. You're playing Robert, finally. Yeah, finally. And it's like <laughs> such a relief. And it's so fun. And it's like, yeah, it's mad. Yeah, amazing. Well, I can't wait to kind of chat all about it and, and kind of find all about you. We're all about digging in to kind of creative careers and figuring out different paths in, different yeah. attitudes in, and just kind of really figuring out what makes creatives tick and, yeah. and what makes you kind of want to pursue this absolutely mad industry, which um, we all love and hate yeah, um yeah. sound okay yeah sounds great okay great well should we start at the very beginning then um yeah. what made you what what kind of inspired you to pursue this career because you, you've got you've got your hands in a bit of everything don't you you do acting a bit of composing yeah i, I i'm literally in my studio um i so uh, how far back should we go uh i was oh. so i'm uh, <laughs> so i was born in zimbabwe and um, first-gen immigration immigrant. And we came to this country and, like, we didn't... My parents, like, don't have a background in the arts at all. But um, they were always, like, really open with me doing stuff because we couldn't really afford to do lots of stuff. We weren't wealthy. We couldn't afford to go out loads and go on holidays and things. So creativity for my family, like my brother, my sister and I, was, like, how we learned to entertain ourselves. And... Um, I never really imagined it being a job, but my brother and I would do music together. Like my dad bought a cheap guitar from a charity shop and we'd do the school plays when um, when we could and things like that. And it wasn't, it didn't really exist as a job. I didn't, I never really imagined it was something you could do as a career. It was just and escapism. It was just escapism, yeah. And it was just like the most fun thing on the planet. And we eventually, in about year 10 or 11, the really amazing Shakespeare Schools Festival, came to our school and um, I was doing Othello, which <laughs> I feel like is the rite of passage for any mm -hmm. big black actor. Um, and one of the 
one of the cats that was doing uh, the Othello play at the Chester Store was like, oh, you should, have you ever thought about being an actor? And I didn't, hadn't even considered that being a thing. Eventually ended up doing National Youth Theatre and I, I wanted to be a physicist. <laughs> and uh, and I, I realised in first year of A-level that I wasn't smart enough to be a physicist. And um, But then I also realised I didn't love it enough. And then all of a sudden the things that I've been doing as hobbies and had that occupy my every waking moment. I just was like, what if this was what I did? I don't know what else to do. I feel yeah. your pain. I was, <laughs> um, I wanted to be a forensic scientist and my um, chemistry teacher said, no, Megan, no, you should not, you should not, you should not take yeah. <laughs> that for A-level. <laughs> take this instead. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So much. I, I hear that. I remember in A-level biology, uh, we had like, they give you like the assessment and they weren't allowed to tell you anything negative. And uh, she, my biology teacher, who was a stand-up comic as well, and she was like, well, you know, you're very good at communicating <laughs> and you read the new scientists, it means you like science, but I don't know if you're a scientist. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Love it. I'm really glad for it. I'm really, really glad for it. No, no, it's interesting, isn't it? You see, like, looking back, you kind of see all these different pathways that could have been, and it's very, like, sliding doors, and um, yeah. who knew? But, like, I mean, like you say, your, fa your family weren't from a Nazi background no. or anything. How, how no. did they kind of react to you suddenly going, oh, I want to do National Youth Theatre? I, I was blessed with parents that are supportive to a fault. Oh, lovely. Like, um... Uh, it's a, a unique thing to be an immigrant in this country because I was, we ended up in Hampshire and just by luck and being like an immigrant in a place that there's not many other black kids, let alone black kids from another country. Mm -hmm. um, you end up somewhere where you're exposed to stuff and you just don't really have a way to filter those things. And my parents were just always amazing at sort of letting us have a go. And you get a lot of, especially like among Zimbabwean parents who are very like prescriptive about their kids going through like business university or medicine and all that sort of stuff. My parents were just always like, we brought you to this country to give you the best opportunities you'd never have anywhere else. And it's not, we're not going to stop you from doing something that's your dream that you clearly have an affinity to. Mm. So, I mean, it got to the point where, you know, my parents couldn't, racked up lots of debt and aged themselves 10, 15 years just to support us through learning these arts. And it happened to all of us. I wanted to be a physicist. I'm an actor. My brother was going to study uh, psychology. He's now an opera singer. <laughs> my sister was going to study law and now she's an actor as well. And it's just because my parents were just like, if you're going to do it, the only rule was um, be obsessive, do it with everything you can and, and make it something you can succeed in i and love that you've all gone down the creative route that's amazing yeah, so it's a parent's nightmare <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it probably is like my brother's like he's like in the like trading like businessy yeah. industry and i'm just like i'm the creative <laughs> i feel like every parent can deal with having one creative child as long as <laughs> yeah. oh you poor parents <laughs> But hey, you are making it work. You are making, making a career it work. out of it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing the best we can. So at what point did it kind of turn from that, oh, this is a 
really expressive hobby that I really enjoy to okay, let's see if we can actually make money out of this and make a living out of this. It happened really late for me. Mm-hmm. I did a year at drama school. Okay, um, which one? And I went to RADA. Um, okay. And after that year, I sort of went for trying to get into, like, you know, three-year courses or just trying to go out and do acting stuff. And I didn't really realise, even throughout all of that, that acting was a job. Um until I, um, I very nearly gave up because I did a bunch of, did a couple of plays that didn't do, uh, didn't, well, well, you know, the classic profit share situations and mm-hmm. you end up spending more money than you make. And I just yeah. sort of doing it for that sense. We're talking the fringe routes or like? Uh, yeah, stand? well, my partner and I uh, <laughs> decided on a whim that the best way to do stuff is to, I just realized, like, I've got a very fancy camera that I can focus here. How grown up is that? Um, <laughs> I know, so pro. Uh, we took a show to the fringe and it was terrible and all of this stuff. But um, a friend of mine uh, told me to get auditioned for this play called Neverland. And that was the first time I was in a play where I'm getting a salary and, and I'm working with actors that have been worth acting for a long time and that are professionals and that are like, um, mm. you know, this is how you do this show and save your voice. And that was the point I realized how much of this thing that was this hobby art is actually like this profession is like going out and doing a bit of plumbing and you've got it mm. and um that really changed my life but then in, in every single one of those shows i've done it's been everyone has just been like a massive learning curve and reinforcement of it like being with for example the play that goes wrong where the structure of this company is so amazing and so supportive and you've got a full team and You've got like everyone's at the top of their game. It, you just this is the point that I've gone like, oh, I've I'm an actor. I can I can call myself an actor, and um, the imposter syndrome is not quite as. Well, this is the thing. Is. It takes a long time to actually give yourself those titles, doesn't it? Yeah, like it really you does. see, a, a lot of people are just like, no, you've got to own it. You've got to own it. But it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I think so, and I think it's also it's, it's sometimes. And I'm all for the language of, uh, of the, like, the positive manifestation language and you've got to think of yourself this. But I think sometimes it kind of does a disservice to the fact that sometimes you don't feel like you are and sometimes you feel like an imposter and sometimes you don't feel like you belong in a room. And that's... And for just understanding that everyone goes through that and, mm. and understanding that it is in your head and you do belong there and you are valid and you've got this job because you were the right person for it mm. and um yeah and then just kind of just to keep going and keep working and, and not feel like just because you can't get yourself in the headspace of thinking i can manifest this doesn't mean mm. that you can't be um but yeah it was this job is you know this play is the one that's really made me sort of really feel like it because it's the first play i've ever done but you know it's it's like it's weird it's like i'm on a west end stage i'm doing a, a play that's like a play and my dad came to see the play on friday and that was like a whole big emotional thing because that was just like amazing and um you know um i actually had a school friend who we didn't know was coming to the show come to the show on saturday who i hadn't seen in over 10 years and i used to do um you know a level <laughs> you know drama things with her and then we sort of had a brief catch-up and she was like you're in the west end you're an actor and um yeah that's just like that really interesting thing that happens in this job it's like you, you, you're on the stage you're at the duchess theater and you're like yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like a, a how <laughs> how has this happened and it's amazing and 
It's just like every single moment of it is a pinch yourself moment. It's amazing. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. It's like, yeah. I mean, while you're talking about that, that's exactly why, like, we're called the good, bad, mad. Because this career is all those things in one. And a lot of it is in your head. And a lot of it is this long mental game of going through the good, bad, and mad, like, crazy days, which you just can't explain entirely completely to someone you yeah, know yeah, it's just absolutely. like it's a constant battle against yourself i feel yeah and i think part of it is to do with i think actors we kind of uh imbue a lot of importance in ourselves and what we do and we kind of have that very human um have you come across the concept of the human exceptionalism which is like a, a thing that you used to think uh, about this is probably the most boring thing to say in the world. No, please but, um, tell me all. Human so exceptionalism. To, yeah, and there's like, um, it's, it's to do with, and it's a thing that biologists and uh, people that study the natural world are trying very hard to disentangle. This idea that we're somehow this special animal and we're unique and that we, the traits that we have only exist with us. And I think actors kind of have that. We have this thing of like actor exceptionalism, that we are somehow this this incredible group of people that pursue something. But we are, we are like everyone else and everyone has the things we have. Everyone, you know, works really hard to do the job they do and sometimes doesn't, don't feel like they're good enough and sometimes feel like maybe the, the next job isn't gonna have, like understanding that the things we feel as actors are felt by everyone and we are part of a, a thing I think can be really just grounding one, but also can give give people a lot of, give actors a lot of, like, a, a permission to forgive themselves for feeling mm. a bit mad and a bit crazy. So actually, everyone's feeling that way. Everyone is kind of stumbling through and trying to earn their label. Mm. This this makes me interested in, in the training that you had, actually. So you said you, mm. said you went to RADA for, yeah. for a year. Yeah. Um, what what was the kind of base of your, your training? Um... It's an interesting course. Uh, I mean, being there for a year, you don't really um, get to do much more than really dip a toe mm -hmm. in things. And I feel like the mo the training I really did was was after I left. But what it did give me was a lot of tools that I then had to go and explore elsewhere. So, um, you know, the standard stuff, like voice work and physical work, which... Mm -hmm. um, isn't you're not going to get a full vocal and physical training in a year no, but that's stuff not. that i use every day that that i'm really grateful for from that school is a lot of the script work we did was really good and um we had a teacher who used to tell tell us off for um he used to use a word called you have to have these things called have to haves which i guess is another way of thinking about actions and he'd stop you mid scene for testing in a general direction and i think what he meant by that was like teaching you to be really specific and to imbue every word with meaning and, and, and everything that someone does is for a reason, um, even if the conscious person isn't aware of it. And mm. that is the sort of stuff that I think from that year I really take and I use in everything I do. I mean, even with, for example, this play, you've got this really, this play is a very interesting kind of challenge in that sense because one, you're playing the dumbest comedy ever, but it's also the smartest comedy ever. Mm -hmm. And the this is that kind of um, play within a play metatextuality thing, and like, um, so I'm playing a character called Robert Grove, who is mm -hmm. playing Thomas Connemore, 
And Robert Grove is an actor who thinks he's the best actor ever, and he thinks he's figured out, as far as he knows, his easy way, he's figured out pure acting, and that's what he can do. And he's presented with this play that's going wrong. And, like, the stuff we used in Rada becomes quite useful in that sense, because you're then playing what that character needs to have. Instead of trying to play, you know, I'm doing a thing in a comedy way, I'm, you're actually playing this character trying to desperately solve this problem. And mm -hmm. if you're playing that, it then becomes really funny. Um, and then if you don't do that stuff, it, it just feels very washy. And that's what, like, the directors, Amy and Sean, were really good at doing in, in the rehearsal process for this, was was actually telling us to not be funny, to not to not do something in a funny way. If you're having to carry something off stage, don't try and do a funny walk. Like, mm. carry it because that character's like, this has gone wrong, we need to, you know, the joke isn't, they're doing funny things. The joke is they're arriving at the wrong solution every single time, but they're doing it sincerely. And um, yeah, that sort of stuff is really useful for that. So, so tell me about how, like, how you came to be involved in a play that went wrong. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, had you seen it before you auditioned? No, I. Um, this play was a complete, wonderful, magical surprise mm -hmm. because um, a good friend of mine who we used to live with took my partner to see the play um, years ago. I think it was around 2016 they saw it. And they told me all about it. And I was sort of living in a very pretentious space in my head at that point. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, no, it's, no, this isn't for me. This is mm -hmm. clowning and it's silly. And I don't, that's, I watch this kind of theater. And, because um, I didn't really know what it was. Uh, and then the audition came through and um, my agent said, I think, you know, you'd be really great for this. Uh, read the sides and tell us what you think. And I was sort of skeptical. I, I, I just was, like, I'd just come up a few years of immersive theatre. I'd done, like, a really beautiful play at the Hampstead. And um, I was just, I was like, I just want something, quote, unquote, proper. And <laughs> I thought it was, like, some dumb comedy. That's genuinely mm. was my sort of thought and I'd heard really great things about it but I didn't really have a relationship with the play mm. and then I read the script um, just the size they sent and they're the first time in my life I've ever laughed out loud whilst reading a script and um, it was the first time I understood just how intelligent mm. this kind of comedy is and how intricate and well written and legitimate it is I absolutely fell in love with it and I was so, and when I went to audition, like my audition person was like the perfect audition for the play that goes wrong because um, they were auditioning down, I can't remember the name of the building, but they were auditioning downstairs and I did the audition that goes wrong. And upstairs there was something else auditioning. And I was, mm -hmm. and I walked in and I said, I'm going to audition for this. And they thought I was auditioning for the play upstairs. And I was sat there and I could just hear people singing Les Mis with a lot oh, of energy. No. I was like, this, this can't, this isn't what I'm auditioning for, is it? No. Uh, and then I just, I'm so, and then I get an email from my, no, I get a call from my agent, like, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, I'm here. I'm so waiting. Like, you're not. They're looking for you. And I went and to the like, reception. And you're like, ready to sing, like, do you hear the people <laughs> sing? <laughs> I've been thinking, why is everyone singing like this? This is really cool. Uh, and yeah, the receptionist was like, no, it's downstairs. And I ran downstairs and thankfully they were really lovely and amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, 
that I forgot the question. <laughs> but... No, but honestly, it sounds like this is probably born for you. You went to the wrong audition. You broke your leg before you meant to be on stage. <laughs> like... I'm an embodiment of the play that goes wrong in many ways. Clearly. <laughs> Yeah, no. No, yeah. I love that. But I, I do, I like, I definitely get what you're talking about. Like, there's this, like, emphasis to, like, forward your career. You've got to be in proper place. You've got to be playing Othello yeah. and right. King Lear and all of that. And you're just like, but actually, I mean, my thoughts on it is like, the world needs, especially right now, they need funny. They need yeah. fast. And, but you're right. It's so intelligent. Like, it's, it's, incredibly clever yeah um, and I, I wanted right. a challenge i wanted to do to challenge myself as an actor and actually mm. this is the most challenging job i've ever had and that's so amazing do you know how the, the emotions those characters feel and the reason it's funny is because they feel it for real mm-hmm. it's agony for them it's it's in a way you're playing a tragedy mm-hmm. because for them for the characters of cornley polytechnic They've had, they've worked so hard for this moment to put on this play and they put everything into it. Mm. And then it just goes disastrously wrong. And I know. And it's just, and you root for them and, and you want them to do well. And, but as an actor, you are actually just doing some really, I think you're playing a tragedy or a drama and it's, it's really wonderful and it's so much fun. But you get the same thing from the audience as well. Mm. Um, I did a show called Malinda Zimu at the Hampstead, which was a Zimbabwean play, mm. um, which we, I had at the time, one of my favorite ever interactions with an audience member afterwards, someone telling me just how much it meant to them and just the emotion they felt at the play. And I never thought I'd get that again. And then weirdly with this show, we absolutely have had that again. And it's mm. a common occurrence because you're so right. People come when, come to be entertained and then, they fall in love with these characters because I think there's something so human about them. There's something that's so you can really connect to. And you just have these wonderful reactions and wonderful conversations with people for whom this play means so much. And that's just lovely. Yeah, no, it is. Like, comedy is equally a form of catharsis, like, as much as all the tragedies. But um, what's it like with that, like, that relationship with the audience whilst you're on stage? Like, they're laughing their heads off like gut-wrenchingly and you're trying to maintain this complete like embarrassment of these of these <laughs> characters like like do you almost just have to block them out no um that's that's the fun uh no you you can't because uh there's two things that happen firstly um the because you're playing characters that are putting on a play they are aware of an audience and that conceit is, is part of their, you know, of their experience. And the audience are actually such a useful um, obstacle for so much uh, when you're acting, you know, like something's gone wrong and all your character is trying to do is make sure the audience doesn't notice it's gone wrong. Or um, an audience laughs at something that your character does, which is a, for that character a genuine offer. And mm. you actually can play with that because it ends up becoming such, you know, um, an embarrassing moment for your character or it's uh, something that drives your character or upsets your character. And all of that is just so useful. Um, there's, uh, uh, without giving anything away, there's moments when stuff is going wrong and 
you get these really beautiful moments where it's just things are going wrong and it's so tense and the room is super quiet as mm -hmm. you're trying to solve this problem on stage. And then you just get one person who breaks the tension by letting out a really loud laugh. And there's nothing better than just snapping and staring at them as in character <laughs> for, that, you know, for that moment. And it's just because, yeah, the audience exists and it's... Um, so is it the kind of play where you're like, like realistically, you're finding new things? Every day. Every audience that comes yeah. through. Absolutely. The show's very different depending on who we have. Um, like every show is, but, you know, you'll get some shows where the audience is incredibly vocal mm. and, um, uh, you know, you begin like, go on, Robert, you can do it. And all that sort of stuff. And that just adds to it because that obviously just adds to whatever. And then, um, Chris Bean, the director in, in the play, he's, um, sometimes ends up with a very adversarial relationship with the audience and he sometimes gets heckled a bit and, and all of that. And it's really fun. Or you get it. And my favorite thing we've had, um, they, uh, part of that really amazing thing that theatres all over London have done to get, you know, kids coming in for free. It's also we've had that, and that's really fun, because kids react truthfully, and they mm. sometimes react vocally. And, um, yeah, that's just the most fun thing. So if, if the, the audience is such an integral part to the show, what was the rehearsal process like, trying to learn the show without having that key element? We had, when we rehearsed, we had two casts, um, well, essentially three, or no, two casts, because it's us, uh, the covers, and um, uh, and some of the tour cast were there. We were mm. always watching each other's scenes, and I mean this without any hyperbole. I'm working with the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. So rehearsal was just like getting to watch comedy every day. Mm. So we would be each other's audience, and we'd be trying stuff out, but also, there's a technical element to it. So there's the stuff that you do that is just always going to get a different response. Then yeah. you've got these, the two um, directors, Sean and Amy, who are just masters of this, of this format, who just understand perfectly what's funny. So sometimes, you, you know, especially towards the end of rehearsal, when you've heard each thing 3,000 times, um, Sean and Amy would say, that's funny. Or look there, that's funny. Or do that, that's funny. And you mm. wouldn't know. And then we did the first ever um, open dress. And then with, you know, people that had seen the show or been in it, including some of the original cast who, who created it. And they're laughing and they're doing stuff. So just, we had so, we have so much faith in the directors that it wasn't too difficult to. And to like, make. I mean, this show has been going for what, eight years? Now? Eight years, yeah. Like, do you know, like, has it changed quite a lot? Like, like having those conversations with the original cast members? Like, yeah. So, like, I mean, the mental thing is, these guys were at Lambda together, and they mm. decided to form an improv group, and then they take a show to a pub, and then it becomes this, you know, I think they got their West End transfer in 2014. Um, mm. I hope I hope that's right, you know, I'm being troubled now. Um, <laughs> um, so I think what's happened is, uh, iteratively, the show changes and I think each cast is very different in terms of just the choices the characters make and, and the form of it. Um, but I think format-wise, I think it's still the same show, which is amazing. Mm. It's stood the time, the test of time over those years. And and what's fun is we've got audience members that come back again and again and again. They've seen every cast do it. And, you know, the, jo the joy for them is seeing how different they are. Even within mm. this cast, um, I've never had a show with 
so much joy when um, when the thunder studies, the so-called thunder studies, come on because like everyone, everyone is brilliant, and every there's not such thing as an A team and a B team. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, uh, just between Mikhail, who's the principal Chris, and and Jack, who's first cover Chris, between <laughs> those, the lines are identical, but the show is entirely different based on mm-hmm. which one of the two you get. Because Mikhail's Chris is very, very different. It's a different drive and different uh, speed and tempo and energy to Jack's Chris, who's like a bonfire. So mm-hmm. it's like um, the show is just, I think it's just, it changes so much between the people who do it. And I think that's a sign of really good writing. I think but the I writing lo- I, is... I love that, actually, that the, uh, the understudy is not just emulating the principal's yeah. performance. It's like it's creating its own. Like, that's lovely. Yeah, it's really, and it just makes it so fun. It's um, it's obviously when someone's off is because of something, you know, and either someone's on holiday or whatever. But um, it's never upsetting or it's never. Yeah, it's it's just fun because you just mm-hmm. get an incredible comic actor, incredible actor, coming in and just bringing something entirely new, and it's brilliant, and it's always fun, and um, yeah, yeah, it's like a truly ensemble piece. Yeah, absolutely. And- is it is it just as reliant on like physical comedy as it is on say like timing and and yeah we had um i'm not going to say who it is because they asked to be kept private mm-hmm. but we had um a very established uh comedy actor come and watch the show mm-hmm. the other day uh, this is a person who's made really massive multi-million pound films and you know is famous in the us and here and um, he's been going for, for years and years and years. And um, they had sort of come in quite quietly without any fanfare. And um, then they said, respectfully, that they wouldn't come backstage after the show because, you know, they, um, but they actually ended up saying, actually, no, we have to come back and meet you guys. And it was so interesting speaking to someone who's a student of comedy, kind of fanning out about how the show <laughs> show yeah. works and how it's done and and they said something that i found really interesting which is so it's just the, the the laughs per minute are so good and what's really clever about it is the laugh is never what you expect it to be so you have a physical joke and then it's a dialogue joke and then it's an old-fashioned monty python joke and then someone's been hit by something and then so it's just it's just comedy styles constantly flicking and it's, mm. it's so clever and that's what keeps you on your toes isn't it yeah absolutely so what what's that like i mean you obviously know the play inside and out um is is it just the is it the the audience that keeps it kind of the energy and the the, like new discoveries every night or is there different ways to kind of keep your head from yeah it's a combination of, of like you're just you're you're with a team of actors you just absolutely trust to be funny and to be bold and to make really fun choices. Sometimes a choice is so fun that you have to stop yourself laughing because they've just absolutely cornered you out of nowhere with just some comic gold. And, um, but then, yeah, like, one of my favorite things and the things that I've been, is, is just learning to ride and laugh because we've got moments in the show where it's like, and that is, that that laugh is different depending on who the audience are. Sometimes an audience laughs internally and is quiet. Sometimes an audience is loud and raucous. And so the show, the pace of the show can vary by like, sometimes the first act is five to 10 minutes 
shorter or longer based on the audience. Oh, shit. Well, yeah, and that's because, like, sometimes, like, you just get, like, laugh that you just have to wait for. Or yeah. then sometimes you get these, like, I call them waves of laughter where you just kind of have to go, and then hit it with your next joke and then you hit mm. it with the next. You just sort of, then that is just means that the show is always different and it's always, like, um, it's always alive because you've just got this element of mm. unpredictability that you get to play with every night. Do you, um, okay, so all, all the audience members come in, this show has a, a legacy now of being bloody hilarious. Yeah. Um, is that scary? Like, do you get the pressure of having to be funny? No. Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I would be terrified. You know, you know what it is? It's because the play is really good. You just and, trust it. Yeah, there's not much I can do to ruin it. Mm. <laughs> because, like, honestly, it's a really good play. And mm. if we just all sat in a line and read the script with the um, with the, the stage directions, mm. I think it would still be one of the funniest plays in London. So mm -hmm. the fact that we get to do it, so because we have so much faith in it, I don't feel the pressure to be funny. Actually, the pressure I feel is to be, you know, to live up to the position I'm in. Just I mm. need to make sure that every show I'm driving as much as possible. I'm giving a hundred percent, and you know, the thing I'm worried about is making sure that when I do this, I do it properly, and when I do a sword fight, it's completely perfect. And that is the pressure we've, I've got in mm. the play. It's like I'm always driving for perfection. Like, Mm -hmm. Have I done this? Or, and and what well, that's really great as well is because with the cast, we can talk to each other about stuff. You know, mm. um, I've had literally times when we'll be like, when I say this line, is it funny if I wait for half a beat or not? And mm. so that's the, yeah. But equally, that completely fits with your character. Yeah, absolutely. like he's exact. He's doing exactly the same thing backstage, <laughs> isn't he? He's exactly. going like, hang on, is it funny if I say that? That's not that inflection. No, I can try that inflection. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's exactly that guy, and he's exactly the guy who's who's giving notes to his fellow actor, um, which I don't do. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. This is it. It's like I mean, to be a bit meta for a second, like it's actually a commentary on acting yeah. and the career that you're in at the same yeah. time. We've which, all guess... been in that play. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. we really have, and is <laughs> getting the immediate results back from the audience, and some, some's great, some's horrendous, and you're just like, oh, I'm putting my heart and soul on the yeah. line here, and it's suddenly getting like, it's yeah. funny. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, I had one of the only moments in this play that I've said, oh God, no, mm. was um, when the lioness is one. Uh, ah, yes. The Lioness is one, and it was amazing, and I was so happy. And I decided there's a moment where I get to improvise, and basically the, the conceit of that moment is, um, without giving anything away, I get to improvise at length because the, that long, rambling improvise basically pays off a joke that's later on. But I won't give okay. So um, we had that. I'd just been told the Lioness is one, and I decided in that moment I'm going to make my improv include the Lion Nexus. And it's going to get a great applause and it's going to be a magical standing moment and we're all going to mm. bask in it together and then carry on at the play. And uh, so I, you know, started the scene and did whatever and I said the line, uh, I'm just celebrating the victorious Lionesses. Mm. 
and got dead oh, no. black silence. So one thing I hadn't considered was everyone at the theater that day were obviously the Americans <laughs> who didn't Not even know anything about <laughs> Uh, and that was the only moment I've ever been like, ah, okay. If I if I deviate too far from what the geniuses that made this show do, yeah, <laughs> do what they want. It's Either cool. way, I'm sure the lionesses would be very, <laughs> very proud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they got a shout out on a West End stage. That's good. <laughs> yeah, we love them. We love them. No, I love it. So, with you. Um... I mean, purely because I'm curious, actually. So, like, you you, you broke your leg before yeah. you were meant to start this um, this journey. Yeah. And what, they had to get someone to fill in for you for well, a few weeks. Well, this is the amazing thing about, like, the Thunder Studies, and I'm so grateful and I'm so happy that this job is a job with a company that really celebrates the people that cover. The and, Thunder um, Studies, I like Thunder that. Studies, yeah. And... Um, Stuart, who stepped in, when so I um when it happened, I I knew instantly I'd broken my ankle, but I mm. it was in such a minor moment that I didn't really think too much about it. They did a great job on rehearsing that you all we got pretty much equivalent rehearsal between the first covers and and the principals, so everyone was confident enough and ready to go on, but obviously no one anticipated not going on for opening yeah. night. But when I was in A&E, I texted Stuart and he said, there might be a chance I've broken my foot. It's probably nothing, just putting around you. And I was expecting him freaked out, but he was like, don't worry, bro, I got you. And, um, and like, that was him. And that was the amazing group of people I worked with that, like, I was so dreading being away yeah. and um, so worried about my job and whether they would be bad, like I'd lose it or whatever. I didn't know what would happen. Yeah, and, of um, course. Mischief and Kenny Wax were just... Like, it was, was, was friction-free. They looked after me. And, and Stuart, who is incredible and is one of the funniest people you ever meet, and I think he's an insanely good Robert amongst the other characters he plays, just just took it in a stride. And I watched him play Robert four or five times whilst I was, uh, whilst I was away on injury, and he's amazing, and he still is. And he's just, yeah. Was it, was it quite story. emotional when you actually got to be up there yourself? It, yeah, it was and it wasn't. It was emotional because, as every actor knows, you want to be doing the thing you've worked so hard for. Yeah. And it was hard doing, like, the gala nights and, and all those nights. And you just get the fear of missing out. But then I worked with people that would make a real effort to check in on me. Um, everyone just really put, you know, yeah, just really cared for me and looked after me and, and so when they were on, I didn't feel like I was missing out. I felt like I was watching people I really admire and really enjoy mm. crushing it, which was just fun in its own right. I love it. So time for the big question right now. Um, you've got a young actor yeah. standing in front of you saying, I kind of think I want to do what you do. Well, um, what advice do you give them? Um, I had this happen. Mm -hmm. We did um, bucket collections for charities um, in the play. And we often, uh, when we go and do them, we often speak to the audience, which is really lovely. And I had two really sweet kids come to me and ask me just this, and I freaked out. It's really a big question. Yeah. 
I had someone when I was in school come and uh, like an actor do like a workshop and um, I asked him about the industry and his advice was don't do it. <laughs> and that was, uh, and that was, was very <laughs> yeah, unhelpful and mean-spirited question. Yeah. What the advice I'd give them is it's art mm-hmm. and um, it's a creative job but it is also a job mm-hmm. and it's a business and it's important to understand that. I teach that, tell them how important it is to look after yourself and your well-being and give yourself mm-hmm. space and permission to do that and understand that like, you need to give yourself space to do things. Um, but I think the, the revolution revelation I had when I was... So when I went from auditioning and never getting things to auditioning and getting things mm. was I had a moment when I learned to love auditioning um, and sort of saw that as we're actors and for most for so much time we're not acting. So much time we're um, looking for jobs and, and, and between auditions and we get these really amazing things when you've gone for a few months without a gig and then you get this three minute chance to to perform in front of people that might give you something. And I took the pressure off getting the role and I started treating the audition like a job. Mm. Like, just that I'm going to get to spend five, 10, 15, 20 minutes with people that really love this life and who just want to see me do what I can do. And um, ever since I did that, everything's changed. And I don't walk into audition rooms feeling like apologetic and feeling um, like I don't belong there. I just Mm. come in and I meet the people I'm auditioning for as my equals and as my peers that are just doing a different gig to me that aren't out to judge me or or see the worst in me. They just want to Mm. find the person that's right for them and I want to see if I'm that person. And once I've learned to do that, everything has got so much better. Because you then, you audition and you go, I'm going to get to do this thing. You get to prepare it and you perform it. And then you can let it go, knowing Mm. that you've done a really good job and you've you've given it your everything. And if you don't get it, it doesn't matter. You've really worked hard for it and you've gone and enjoyed yourself. Because that also puts you in the best possible chances of getting it, because mm. you're relaxed. Um, yeah, that's that's that. And get an accountant. <laughs> yeah, I get that one. <laughs> it's like, oh mm-hmm. god, that what time every year? You're like, oh damn, I wish I had someone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I st- I'm saying I still don't have one, and I want one. I need it. get an accountant. This is like, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this is advice to your future, sir. <laughs> yeah, this is much, I love yeah, it. Always learning. <laughs> yeah, always learning. But yeah, I, I, I don't mean that advice to sound at all like, you know, like obviously all this stuff, there's a thousand people that have told you great stuff about being on stage and doing whatever. But I think if you've got to the point where um, you're sort of getting auditions for stuff and, and you're, you're there. You know, you've got, you're going to learn off the people you're working with and you'll learn on the job and you'll improve. And I've learned so much from the people I've worked with over the last few years. But the the biggest hurdle that actors need to get over, I think, is this fear of auditions and this Mm. sense that they're somehow 
this horrible part of the industry that you have to survive to then do the bit you like. But actually, the majority of the time, it's internal. Mm. The people that are auditioning you don't hate you. They like you. They want to see what you've got to offer. They've brought you to the room because they like the look of you. And they just want to see what you've got. And if they don't choose you, it's not because you're bad or lacking talent or whatever. It's just because you want the right person for that. So yeah. if you go in and try and have the best time, I think. No, it's, it's, it's so true. And I, could, I can confirm that from casting directors having talked to them on these podcasts. Like, mm. that, that's exactly how they think. And, like, yeah. there's this whole thing about them being like the dragons and the gatekeepers of the industry. It's just, they're just people. The, yeah. This is the thing. People are just people. Like, I, yeah. And yeah, everyone's so, got this love. Yeah, it's so easy to be cynical. And and cynicism is so understandable. You know, we yeah. we work in an industry that you know um, that I think it, sometimes demands it. But it does. It feeds off it. Yeah, but it's like you have to fight it. Fight cynicism wherever you can. Be optimistic. Be tenacious. And be hopeful. My dad mm. once said, um, "He's a very wise man." But um, I was saying, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this again. Maybe I shouldn't do this. I think maybe it'll never work. It's not practical, blah, 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 blah. And it's the one good thing you've got <laughs> about this career you've decided to do is you've entered the profession where there's no shortage of people telling you not to do it. So in a way, you own, you need to be the one voice telling you you can because you're never going to run out of voices saying you can't. And um, yeah. So I love good. that, actually. I've not heard that one before. <laughs> true though like you know oh, very true. the awkward family dinner party where you're told yeah but how long are you going to keep doing this time? i know that was always the horrendous question wasn't it what are you doing with your life now you're just like, yeah <laughs> but you're right it is i do think it's a lot easier to be a cynic than it is to be an optimist i think optimist yeah. takes work it takes practice and it kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about giving yourself the time to look after yourself that, yeah. that, like that's part of the job to me of, of yeah. any like actors directors producers whatever yeah. writers if you're you're kind of sharing your soul and your emotions with the world which is in my opinion what essentially what you're doing you need to protect that yeah it's also impossible to do a good job if you're not if you're not looking after yourself um and not learning and not you know, you're not always, and looking after yourself doesn't mean always having a massive smile on your face and being whatever, yeah. but it's checking in and being where you need to do and doing the things you need to do to be healthy. If you're not doing that, it's going to be impossible for you to reach the place you need to reach to maybe get performance, yeah. I think. And it can also mean not running after buses. Which is something I now do. <laughs> Something like it's, all, it's all healed now and you can do all your com yeah. like physical comedy no yeah, exactly i think to be honest um the play were amazing and got me uh, they have an amazing physiotherapist and um i think my broken ankle is probably stronger than it's ever been before so i'm pretty pretty, <laughs> pretty invincible right now good i'm glad well brilliant we'll leave it there thank you so so much for, for chatting with me it's been lovely to to get to know you a, yeah, a bit pleasure to meet and, you and, and chat. yeah and yeah good luck with the rest of the run how, how long are you there till we're there till april i think i'm, I'm oh, not brilliant sure. 
Oh, good long while. <laughs> yeah, we've got, got a minute left. We've got a minute we'll check, left. We'll check in. Eh? <laughs> Please do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Bad Mad podcast. Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it. You can find us on Instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.